Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. I had the great opportunity recently to speak on the Slate stage for one of their virtual presentations presenting what's in a name, brand awareness, consistency, and relevance. You'll hear today uh, all the recording of that presentation along with moderator Sarah McInnes from the Slate.org team. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining us today for your 2 p.m. session, 2 p.m. Eastern session of Slate Stage. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. Um, We are diving deeper with Niche. The title of this webinar is What's in a Name? Brand Awareness, Consistency, and Relevance, which we all know these days when it comes to competition and everything out there, like we got to stay on our brand. We got to be relevant so the students are listening to us. And we have uh, Will Patch here today. Um, who's going to go through some of that with you. So Will is from Niche, like I just said. Um, He's a Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed at Niche. Um, And he's going to bring some some really fun topics and and, uh, facts for you guys today. So without uh, further ado, I will turn it over to Will. All right. Thank you, Sarah. And like I said, long weekend coming up here. I'm in Indiana. uh, So for us, that means it's Indy 500 season, which is awesome. it's a, it's a big weekend around here in our family. But uh, yeah, just want to kind of kick off here. Um, I know people are still rolling in. I've seen some of this already. I want to see, you know, just do a quick intro. You know, where are you from? Uh, and I want to know what brand means to you in the chat. So as everyone's kind of getting comfortable, for me, I've got my mug at Earl Grey. So if you have a, a something you need to kind of get ready here for listening to me talk for a little while, I want to leave plenty of time uh, for questions. So we'll be in good shape there. Uh, seeing a lot of rolling in. That's great. Want to know what you think brand is? Because there, it's one of those things I don't know there's a single definition for this is what brand is. I have my own way of seeing it uh, that I'm going to cover in just a little bit here that I think will help frame um, seeing some coming in. Yeah. So as we're going through all this, uh, want to be able to, to have a conversation Drop things in as you, you know, quick reactions, quick questions. Uh, we'll cover all those at the end there then. Where I got to the housekeeping. So I want to talk about what, first off, what is, you know, your brand? I've, I've seen a lot of good examples there, but what are we calling your brand so that we have a, a shared definition here? For me, I say that your brand is what others say about you when you're not around. You know, it's, it's not what you're saying so much. It's how do others view you? How can they find you? Uh, So think about your website. Everything you see on your website is a way of sharing your brand, your voice, right? Your search engine results pages. When someone looks up, I see University of Tulsa, I see Kent State. You know, Mark, if someone's looking at at Kent State, uh, what do they see first? You know, what are they learning about you before they ever have that conversation? To me, that is really what a good brand is. Uh, you don't ever have to talk to someone from Apple or McDonald's and you know what both of those brands are, right? So it's your social media, it's your reviews, it's your rankings, it's your materials. Anything that if someone comes across to, if they can get a good picture of who you are, that's you sharing your brand out. Another way of kind of framing this, it's less about, when you're talking about your brand, it's less about what you say, it's much more about what others remember about you. Because you can go on and on about your small class sizes and everything else, but what what sticks in their mind, that is really a good definition for your brand, right? You know, does a brand matter to students? You know, I think anyone who who has kids and has had them ask for a specific brand of something probably already knows an an example, an answer here. You know, overall, 69% of students say that brand and name recognition do matter. Only 11% say that does not. You know, at this stage in the consideration, yeah, the name doesn't matter. But, and this is a big one here, but that does not mean you can't earn their attention if they don't already know who you are. You know, we had 97% of students in our recent junior survey who said that they would consider a college they had never heard of before as long as certain conditions were met. So we're going to get into to some of that uh, in a little bit, but they they can, you can earn that consideration from there. I wanted to pull out uh, a, a few examples here of some student quotes. You know, this student, a uh, female student attending a suburban public high school, you know, there's a social pressure to go to a good school. And people don't think a school is good unless they've heard of it, right? 
and this was interesting to me. One of the reasons I wanted to pull this out, you see how she has good in quotes almost every single time the student mentioned a good school, a good college, a good program almost every single time. And this was of almost 10,000 responses. It was in quotes. So I think that really reiterates what does that mean? You know, there's not this universal definition, right? So how are you getting your brand in front of them and making them believe, okay, this is a good brand for me. This is a good fit for me. The second one here, I, I don't, there's part of it I don't agree with here. We live in an age where it's easy to get a degree. And so it, it gets to a point where that reputation also matters. I don't agree that it's easy to get a degree necessarily. I think there's a lot of hard work that goes in there regardless of what you're doing, regardless of where you're going. Uh, but it is a point that you have a lot of options, right? There's a lot of places these students could be looking. So that reputation has to matter to them to a point, right? Well, the next part here, I mentioned that that they can be earned. You know, these two, these first two were definitely saying, yes, brand absolutely matters to me. 3% of students said they would only to apply to a college they had heard of. You know, that's only 3%. That's a big pool that you can still convince you can get in front of. So this student then was saying, you know, a brand is just a brand. You know, if I'm going to go to a college, I'm going to pay for the learning for the experience, not the title, not for that name brand. This is a student who doesn't necessarily say that, yep, I need that Nike swoosh. You know, I need uh, the Allbirds logo on it. You know, I, I want something that I get a good experience. It's going to be the right fit for me. So part of that is making sure that you are consistently sharing your message, consistently telling your story and getting in front of all these students. You know, if you're out there all over the place and we had some questions advance, uh, submitted in advance that really got to this, your message needs to be on point all the time. So people know who you are. Like I said, it's what about what others say about you when you're not there. And if they go looking for you and you're all over the place, that makes it harder for them. So you have to think about here that with consistency, yes, you want to have a consistent voice. You want to have a consistent, uh, you know, brand logos, things like that. But then within that, you have to be able to tailor your message to that audience and to the medium that you're on. You're going to talk differently or share different information if you're an email versus a text versus on social versus in a video. You know, hopefully you're, you're messaging things differently to someone interested in business than art, than biology. You have to make sure that this overall presence that you have is still seen across all of these. So one way that, that I always like to lay this out and, and hopefully you're doing things like this already, start at the top. Think about what are your brand's len brand lenses or position statements? What are your core pieces of who you are? And then what are the messages around that? You know, so if you're going to be talking about your excellence as an institution, what's the message behind that? Are you talking about excellence in terms of a community that really thrives? Are you talking about excellence in the sense of grad school placement? Are you talking about job placements? So you have all these aspects of this position statement, but then you get down a level lower and think, okay, how do we actually prove that? You know, we can say it all day long, but we have to be able to prove what we say. We have to be able to back it up, right? You have to be able to walk that talk. And that's where you come up with your proof points. So your data points, what's that quick stat? Think about the stories that you're sharing. You know, are you sharing stories that can relate to some of these, whether they're written, whether, whether they're video, whether they're audio, what are these more engaging pieces that you can use to back up these messages that support your position statements? And then for each audience or each persona within your audience, you can pull from all of these. So if you know from your testing that your business students really go for the outcomes piece and the, you know, what's the starting salary, all that. You work backwards and you say, okay, what proof points do we have to back that up that feed up to this excellence or this outcomes or this support uh, position statement? So if you don't have something like this, easy template to, re to replicate. This is something you can do internally with some, uh, with just some, um, meetings with students, with alumni, with prospective students, figure out what really matters to them, what stories do they have to tell, what really resonates, and build this out. So a very big piece here, you have to ensure that what you're saying is actually relevant to them. And the things that are relevant to you and really matter to you as that enrollment or enrollment marketing professional may not be relevant to your audiences. And what's relevant to one group of students might not be relevant to all.
which is why it's so important to really tailor things. And that involves a lot of research, testing, uh, to figure out what does actually matter. But you have to make sure that what you're saying matters and it's coming from someone that matters to those students. So I mentioned about earning their attention and earning their consideration. When we ask students, what would make you consider a college you had never heard of before? If you get an email, a piece of mail, something from a student from a college you had never heard of before, what would make you actually take note of that? Well, the number one way to do that is having a conversation with someone from that college. If they've never heard of you before, if you talk to them, get to know them, that's a great way. 59% of students said that that's going to earn their attention. You know, and it can be, but it really doesn't have to be a counselor. So think it like a fair or a high school visit. You know, find ways to integrate your faculty, your leadership. Even better, use your current students in conversations. So have them do the talking for you, share their experiences. You know, that's a great way either take them with you out to events or give them the tools to actually advocate for you as well. So this is the number one way you can earn their consideration. How else? You know, how else can you earn this consideration? Well, big thing here, uh, there's a few different buckets. The first bucket is, I think, influence the influencers. You know, these who are the people who are helping you year after year get in front of students, you know, so you don't have to start from scratch every single time. Uh, in terms of other people advocating for you, 46% said their school or college counselor would make them consider a college that they'd never heard of before. So if you're building advocates in the counseling community, great way to have them year after year help build that audience for you. 45%, just slightly less, said their family. So if mom, dad, aunt, uncle, cousins, grandparents say, hey, you know, you should really think about uh, that college because they have a great program for you, that's going to help earn that consideration. 40% said their friends. So whether that's friends currently enrolled in another college or who take a college visit, receive some cool piece in the mail and are talking about it, you know, friends can be a great uh, advocate for you. And then 6% said religious leaders. Uh, that does go up for those considering uh, who, who really want uh, a strong religious life on campus. Uh, but that's another group who, if that applies to your college, great group of people who can be advocates for you. So how do we make this happen? You know, counselor events. How do you actually pull counselors in, make sure they're up to date, they know your latest stats, they know new programs. Uh, they're, they're great advocates, so involve them all the way. Uh, think about on-demand content updates. How do these people, how do these influencers learn more about you without you having to constantly go out to them? You know, do you have a video series? Do you have a landing page even that kind of shares, hey, here's the quick hits that are new for the spring? Uh, with friends, think about referral programs. So do you have ways to help people who either enrolled or who are just visiting to tell their friends about it? You know, do you have uh, different ways that you can get them tools, whether they can share online, talking points, postcards? Uh, you know, are you incentivizing it with gift cards, with things like that for them to actually go out and advocate for you? Um, and then throughout your instance of Slate in this case, Think about how you're building out nurture campaigns for counselors, parents, or guardians, and others. You know, these are all groups that you should and be talking to. How are you building out information? So whether it's quarterly, whether it's monthly, just send them some updates. Whether it's a video update, uh, just some bullets. Make sure that you are talking to them and getting to know them as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, one little thing here that, that I hear all the time. I, I get up on my soapbox often enough that I had to throw this in here. One of the things that, that I hear all the time is colleges saying, well, if you can't, you know, I don't know how to get in touch with a parent. We don't have parent contact info. And I'm just going to say that is an absolute excuse. Because if you can contact the student, you absolutely can contact the parent. If you have any way possible to contact that student, if you have a student record, you have contact with the parent. You know, so whether that's through send a mail that says, you know, hey, if you're give this to your parents, uh, if they want to be kept up to date on what's going on, here's a quick form they can fill out or here's a landing page. Here's a QR code. You can do that email. Absolutely. So easy. You just ask the student, hey, would you like your parents to be involved? How can we get in touch with them? Or, hey, forward this to your parents. Uh, you know, if you have the home phone number, you have a cell phone number. 
It's all so easy. Uh, and yet over and over year after year, uh, I hear people saying, well, we don't know how to contact parents. We don't have parent contact information. Are you asking for it? Is my question. You know, if you want to, you can, there's always a way. Uh, so that, that is my big soapbox moment here. You know, there is never a time you cannot contact with a parent as long as you can contact with the student. So I'll get down off my box there for a second. Uh, the second sort of bucket of ways that you can ensure your relevance, you know, 43% of students said that rankings uh, were a great way for them to find a college and consider a college they'd never heard of before. And 41% said the reviews of that college. Um, I think a big thing here that we need to keep in mind is that rankings do matter to both students and parents, but they're a data point. They're not the only factor. So when I hear people complaining about rankings or, or things like that, you know, it is a data point. There's over 4,000 colleges. There has to be a way for people to just make a, a starting point or discover places they'd never heard of before. So finding a list where someone says, hey, I think these places are really good. There might be some colleges there they'd never heard of before. It's a great discovery tool. You know, if rankings were the only thing, everyone would be going to Harvard and Yale because they always wind up on the top of the list, right? Do Harvard and Yale enroll 100% of students? No. You know, so use reviews and materials as well. Use them in your ads. Uh, that's something I had a great deal of, of success with. Pulling reviews from different sources like Niche or Google or Facebook. Just pulling those testimonials of saying, hey, I love my time here in this program, XYZ. You know, pull those into your digital ads into your print materials and that's someone else advocating for you and that's going to have a, a good return on investment there because they're going to see that they're going to hear someone else advocating for you and they're going to consider you then uh, another free way here claim your niche profile keep it updated uh, this is i mean niche is the number one most visited site uh, by students and parents looking for college it's free to just claim your profile make sure that you have a photo up there all that no reason not to. Uh, think about your traditional tactics. You know, 40% of students said that receiving a mail from a college they'd never heard of before would make them consider it. You know, that's a big one. We always hear people doing email first. Mail is more impactful, though. Um, there's a couple little caveats there I want to point out. But 28% then said if they see a college they never heard of before on social, that's going to make them consider it. And 9% said something, uh, digital ads from a, a college they'd never heard of before would make them consider that. So a couple things here. I think with, with mail, it has to be relevant and meaningful mail. It's really one, you know, having something very personalized that really speaks to them, you know, that is going to earn their consideration. Postcards telling them to apply or visit today, all that, those are not. And I've done a lot of secret shopping and so often the postcards you get are just apply today, visit today. And that's not telling them why, you know, anything that you're doing here, whether it's the emails, whether it's the print, you have to give them a reason to want to learn more because if you're saying you can apply today, they already know that if they want to apply, they could. So give them a reason to be interested give them a reason to get excited. Right. Um, so that, that's a big one there. I feel like I could almost break out a soapbox for that too. You know, social media, when you're doing this, make sure it's a dialogue. There's back and forth. You're engaging. You're answering questions. Things are open-ended. It's not just a monologue. If you go through and read your, your admissions or your institutional social media, it just sounds like someone standing on the corner with a megaphone, that's not social media. At that point, it's just a series of press releases. You know, It should be engaging. It should be something that's going to make them want to learn more and talk to you. Uh, feature student voices all throughout social media, whether that's a photo with some text, whether that's video, you know, find ways to really bring your students into all this because that's who the students want to hear from. You know, I think with the digital, with the digital ads, this really highlights why remarketing is so much more valuable for in investment at this awareness stage. You know, find people who have come to your website and, you know, they're, they're just now starting to look. You know, they, they look around your inquiry pages, they look around your application pages and don't take an action. You know, remarket to them, get, keep top of mind for them. That's going to help you stay uh, top of mind and convert them. You know, with, uh, with Niche, we do remarketing from your profile as well. So if students are looking there, if they're not taking action, keep in front of them. Don't let them just look, get excited, wander away and hope they remember. 
I've talked about social. Uh, I think a big reminder here, just because students are on a network does not mean that they want to follow or see colleges there. You have to think about where do they actually want to engage with schools. Uh, when we've asked this, the results turn out pretty much the same every time. Uh, Instagram, number one, you know, that's the only place you have to be. 67% of students said that they uh, use Instagram to research colleges. They're going to your profile pages. They're looking at photos. They're asking questions. You know, that's where you are. It drops down big time to number two. TikTok moved up to number two at 30%. Uh, they moved up one percentage point ahead of YouTube. Uh, but still, both the, that's 29 and 30% saying that they use it for search. So while I'm seeing people throw resources at it, just because students are there doesn't mean that they want to see you there, right? It's the same reason they left Facebook, right? Mom and dad got on there, grandparents got on there, and suddenly they don't want to be there anymore. That's not their reason for being there. I think really, if you look at these top three, it should really emphasize the use of video, right? These are all three very visual. We're investing heavily in video. YouTube, that's all they do. Uh, so really think about how you're investing in video assets, short form and long form, uh, to help students better realize who you are. Uh, and then use social listening to engage with students. Know what's being said. Know what questions are coming up. You know How are you getting in front of things before they become a big issue? So 79% of students, when we talk about you need to get in front of them with relevant information, 79% of students said that personalized and relevant outreach influences their interest in a college. So that should be a huge wake-up call there, right? But when we asked, are you receiving relevant and personalized outreach? Only 16% said that they were. So that's a big disconnect between 79% of students saying, I want this, and 16% of students saying that colleges are delivering on it. And that number has actually gone down from last year. So it's not getting better. You know, so think about how are you framing everything? You know, how are you making sure that you are speaking to a specific audience and you're not sending the same thing to everybody? 21% uh, of students even said they thought all colleges look and sound the same. And that was a common theme. Uh, if any of you are on Reddit and you go to our applying for college, that comes up often where students will just say, Everything from every college looks and sounds alike. Everyone says they have small class sizes. Everyone talks about their wonderful, caring faculty who are engaged in student learning. You know, so you have to differentiate, right? You need to provide something that connects with that student and not just try to sound like everybody else. In terms of weekly outreach, uh, this is something we've been asking for a while. I think that with the class of 2023, they're getting a little burned out because across the board, the numbers dipped. Uh, email is still the most acceptable place if you're going to be contacting weekly. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think you need to, especially at the inquiry and awareness stage, but it's, drip, drop, it's dropped down to 59% saying that they're okay with you emailing them weekly. Uh, it falls significantly after that with mail, text, phone calls, video calls. You know, phone calls, well, we all hate doing them, right? Who likes cold calling students? Uh, students don't like receiving them either, but they're still better than receiving video calls. You know, I think they're burned out on that after the past two years. You know, you're, you get tired of constantly having to stare at your phone or your screen uh, and do video, right? So think about your mix. Think about your frequency uh, when you're providing all this. It has to be relevant. It has to be timely. It has to be something that's the right message at the right time. And you're not just throwing information at the wall. Okay. One final thought here. Before you craft any message, whether that is an email, whether that is a phone call, and you're, you're kind of planning out what you want to talk about and how you want to talk about it, I think there's four questions you need to ask. The first off, is it relevant? Are you providing the right message at the right time? So are you gathering what matters to the student at that stage, at that time of year, you shouldn't be saying the same thing to a sophomore as you are a junior. You know, don't just bucket them as underclass. You know, what you are talking about to them needs to be different. Is it personalized? So speak to them like you know them. That's the expectation. You know, and, and I really differentiate these. Personalization is all about you know who that person is. So I see here Samantha in the chat. Samantha, if I'm talking to you, uh, you know, that's personalization. 
Relevance is providing the information that matters to that person. It's not just personalized. It's the right message at the right time. Uh, is it targeted? So are you using the right medium or the right way of talking? You know, are you using uh, the, the something tailored for social? Are you using something tailored for an email? Are you using something tailored for a text? Because they need to be different. You know, you have to use that right medium. And you need to know what your call to action is before you ever craft anything. You can't just say, well, we need this email a week after the last one because we want to stay top of mind. But what does that student need and want to receive? So you have to think about what action do we want them to take? And you can't just say, well, we want them to apply. Okay, but they already know how to apply, right? So instead, talk about, well, I want them to get out of this that they can go to this page where it's filled with exactly what criteria we use. Uh, we're going to talk about what test optional means. You know, all these things surrounding the application. I want them to make sure they get back there and learn all that so that they decide whether or not they want to apply. It has to be, it has to be a little more advanced than that. Last one that I, I say is the most important is this email, mail, whatever. Is it necessary to them? Do they need to hear it or do you simply want to say it? That's the biggest thing. You know, if, if you're saying things just because you want to say them, something you want to promote, but it's not something they need. It's a mess. Don't do it. Recraft it. Make sure you're addressing their fears, addressing their concerns. You're giving them the information they want to have. And so especially when you think like an autoresponder, someone fills out an inquiry form. What's necessary to them is asking that question. A request for information is just that. You have to be able to talk to them and answer that question. If your autoresponder is apply today, Okay, they didn't, they didn't fill out an application. They filled out an inquiry form. They want to know what information they can learn about your college. So if that inquiry form is on an academic page, your autoresponder better answer questions about that academic program. If it's about a net price calculator, talk about cost. Talk about affordability. You know, everything needs to be framed as what is necessary to the student. It doesn't matter what you want to say. It's what do they need to hear. Okay, I, I feel like I had a few soapbox moments there, but uh, you can go ahead and start submitting some of those questions in the chat. Uh, we'll get to those in just a little bit. Uh, for those who don't know, I just want to kind of address who Niche is. Um, Niche is the largest place where students and families are researching preschools through grad schools. We have over 27 million families just looking at the college profiles every year. Uh, we have over 2,400 partners that we help build connections with these students, help them figure out how to visit, how to fill out an application, ultimately how to enroll. You know, this is where they go to see the reviews, see what other students are saying about it, and learn more about colleges. We have comparison tools side by side uh, so they can figure out, you know, is this the right fit for me? How do I learn more directly from the college? Uh, we also do a lot of enrollment marketing. Uh, so we have remarketing, like I mentioned, where if someone comes to your page on Niche and, and they're looking around, they don't take an action, how do you stay in front of them to help them re-engage so you don't lose them? Uh, we're a Slate Platinum Preferred Partner. Uh, we've got 38 data points, so inquiries, um, similar prospects uh, will then also get loaded directly into your Slate instance. Uh, one of the great things that, you know, I, I was a niche partner for three years before coming over three years ago, uh, and we, we have a partnership with the National Student Clearinghouse, able to see that students on niche are more likely to enroll because they're more engaged in this process. Um, so great opportunities there. A lot of free resources on the Enrollment Insights blog. From research, I referenced a lot of those data points here today. Um, we have playbooks that we've been putting out this year that really help answer specific questions uh, and, and really help kind of get to the core of how do we help you as your, your resources get spread more and more thin. Okay, we had a few questions submitted in advance, so I'll get to those first. Uh, this one, uh, there is another college with our name and we are nothing alike. However, we receive inquiries and applications for the other school regularly. So how is this best addressed? Uh, this is not a, a singular problem. Uh, there's, you know, I was at Manchester University and we would occasionally get things for the University of Manchester in the UK. Uh, you know, there's multiple schools with the same or very similar names. I think one of the important things is clarity from the start. So your first response is, hey, we are such and such college in this city and state. Um, 
and then start talking about what makes you unique, right? You don't have to address it as, did you mean to, to talk to us? But just get at, here's who we are, here's where we are, uh, and then start sharing why they might be interested in you. Assume that they are actually trying to get to you, right? Don't assume that they made a mistake from the front, right? Uh, so that's that's a big one. Consider the source, too. If someone filled out an inquiry form on, uh, you know, if someone filled out the inquiry form on your website, I think you can pretty much assume that they did actually mean you because they came to your site. Uh, if they came from, if it's a, a stealth application from something like Common App or, or the Coalition, they might not have just selected the wrong one. So talk to them about who you are, of course. But if it starts becoming clear that they meant the other one, that's where you can really address it. Uh, I wanted to, to share a little story a few years ago. Uh, I, had, I, I knew someone from a college who is exactly in the situation where there's another college with the exact same name. Um, and, and the director there mentioned that they had picked up a student at the airport and were taking him to campus for orientation. And he's looking around. He just seems to be getting confused. And so they asked him what was going on. Uh, and he, he says, well, you know, I think the weather and, and everything's a lot different than I thought. And it turns out that he thought that he had applied, gone through the whole process, enrolled at the other school, uh, and did not realize that he had applied to this other place. But when he started learning more about them and they got to talking, uh, he wound up actually liking it and staying and, and graduated there. Uh, so there are still opportunities. It's a weird situation for that kid uh, that he wound up in entirely the wrong place. I don't know how you get a flight to the airport and realize it's not in the right state, but um, you know, there just be clear about who you are right off the bat. Uh, next one here. I'm very curious about content governance and strategy. You know, I think anytime, especially if you're the larger the institution, the more complex, make sure there's a clear owner and a coordinator. So who owns all of these, uh, you know, who owns all of the, assets for your video, for your audio, for your photos, for your B-roll, you know, where is that stored? Think about, is it housed centrally on a server where lots of teams can access it? Uh, is there a request process? Think about how it's prioritized. So when you start going through and you're meeting as, as teams from across campus, you might realize, well, we have a hole here where we need more information about these programs. Well, there's going to be, that's not going to be a singular program situation. How do we prioritize what we need to get? So coming up with whether it's a database, whether it's simple spreadsheets, uh, a tool like Asana, something like that, how do you make sure to organize all this so that anyone can come in, start, and know what already exists and figure out where can we update things? Uh, so it has to be across campus, um, you know, have regular meetings, whether that's monthly, biweekly, where you just address, hey, we had these new assets being created. How do we use those? Um, next one here, any tips for where there are several brands at play? I recruit for three distinct grad programs. Each label has different connotations, none of which speak well to our target students. I'm not quite sure what, what you mean by the last piece there. Um, I'm just going to say though, there should only be one brand. There should not be several brands in an institution. Uh, that that's a major problem right there. You know, your audiences might differ, you know, who you're speaking to in each case will differ. Uh, but you know, it, there should not be several brands. You know, a brand is your identity as an institution. Within that, you know, you can take a look at, well, you know, our, we're going to talk to students in this program differently. We're going to have different marketing materials for the pharmacy program than we would for the education program, of course. But it should still look and feel like the same brand, right? Um, so I think that's, that's the first red flag that's thrown up for me. Um, so that's something work together as a central marketing to make sure that your institutional identity is the true is, is the same and true across all of these. And then how do you speak to them differently? How do you share different stories? How do you share different proof points uh, to really work to those target markets? And the last one of these that were submitted in advance, uh, should university limit the use of too many different brand marks or logos? Uh, some universities are using the athletic symbol as a primary external symbol. Uh, if you're using an acronym versus a full name, is that diluting the brand? You know, yes, overall, I think that you shouldn't clutter things up. 
uh, having too many different things where you're trying to say X, Y, and Z, you know, that's something that let's consolidate. Let's make sure that there is one way we're talking about ourselves. Uh, work with anyone who's on social as well as all your marketing teams to make sure things just sound and look consistent. Uh, I think with the acronym, that's a little bit different. Uh, make sure it's distinct. You know, if you say MU, well, there are a lot of schools that are MU. Uh, there are a lot of schools that are DU. You know, so make it clear. Uh, I think think about think about placement when you do that. So, example on social, if your social media, you know, if your Twitter handle, if your Instagram handle, whatever, is niche university, it's okay then within the body of the post to say NU. But I would say don't don't try and lead with that. So if your Twitter handle is NU admissions, there's dozens of schools that could be. So don't confuse students. Again, clarity. Make things clear. Use the acronym when they already know who you are. So if it's an email to them where it's clear who it's coming from already, sure, then use it. But don't water it down. Um, I think with the athletic lo- logo, that makes sense for some D1 schools where you know they're already getting a ton of coverage. Students and families are always seeing their logo. Um, you know that makes sense there. If you are a D3 or NAIA school where locally people might know your athletic mark, I don't know that it makes sense to go out with that as your primary if that's not what people are going to recognize for you for the most. So hopefully those answered those. I, I see it's been an active chat. Uh, so I'm, I'll hope Sarah can help out here and we'll, uh, we'll go. Hey. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I really appreciate all of that. I'm sure everyone else does as well. And we did get a few really great questions. So we'll take a few minutes to look over these and I'm just going to kind of go in order. Um, so what are your thoughts on separate Instagram pages for the university versus specifically the admissions office? Um, I kind of just touched on this, but I think maybe you might want to go in a little detail. So I know some places run a separate page in their admissions office, but is that effective? No, uh, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of consolidate, <laughs> consolidate, consolidate, you know, it having 10 accounts, that are all marginally active with mediocre content mm-hmm. makes a whole lot mm-hmm. less sense than having one account that everyone feeds into. So you're having more high quality content, you know, because what you're sharing admissions wise, you know, I'll bet, I'll bet that there's alumni who would love to be able to share that as well and see it. I'll bet that fans of your football team would love to be able to share that you have a, a new scholarship program, you know, consolidate, 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 You're, you'll have individual posts. And this is something, and I, I, I'm coming at this after seven years as a social media manager as well, consolidate, 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 because when you have everybody working for you, that's less content that your social media manager has to try and come up with. Um, you know, Individual posts will have an audience, have an intended audience, an intended call to action. You know, So while you might have an admissions post two, three times a week and missions targeted posts two, three times a week, you're going to get a wider audience than that. And it's going to do you a lot more good to have daily posts with different audiences than having all these accounts. Cause we all know there's those student accounts out there that, Hey, we got this great idea and they post five times in one week and then you don't hear from them for two years. Um, yeah. Fair. Yeah, I think it also, as you were saying that, I could, I can envision, you know, let's say the admissions office posting, they're posting about trying to get students to understand like some of the mm-hmm. traditions on campus. Well, if alumni are seeing that, they can chime in and they can have conversations like, oh, I remember that, or you know, whatever. I think it also, like you said, uh, opens for some good dialogue between folks who have gone through the school or mm-hmm. whatever. So, yeah, that's that's great. Next question was, uh, was Yik Yak? Suggested by any students as one of the social media platforms they looked at as part of their college search. The follow-up question was, does Yik still exist? <laughs> yes, it still exists, but no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it, okay. I mean, just because something's back doesn't mean we should jump on it. It was a bad idea then. It's a bad idea now. Okay. Awesome. Um, this one's a little bit m- more like uh, you may have a follow-up with this, but it's, do you have the stats from the 2020, 2020 to 2022 and 2019 to 21 to 2021 for acceptable Mm -hmm. outreach. For example, email. I feel like students say it's less acceptable, but at the end, but at the end they open it and they do the call to action anyways. Uh, I will say this. 
they okay. If I would say that it is acceptable um, for squirrels to to eat from my bird feeder, because there's not a lot I can do about that. Am I happy about it? No. Uh, and I, I say this to someone whose bird feeder is outside. Uh, just because someone says, "Okay, yes, I will take take this action," are you leaving a good taste in their mouth? Right? Mm. Are you earning their trust, earning their interest, or is it? Okay, I'll go through this because I'm really interested in the school. Well, over time, what's that doing? Is that right. overall hurting your your brand? I mean, again, mm-hmm. go to our applying to college on Reddit and you see people love to name drop the schools that are sending them way too much email and bad email. You might say, well, but it works. Just because it works doesn't mean it's right. good. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. Um. The next question is, what recommendations do you have for schools that don't have the kinds of rankings they'd mm-hmm. like to have? Uh, if students keep saying they're important, it seems that there's just no way around mm-hmm. it. But if you don't have the rankings, you know, there are so anything you yeah. can do or say. Yeah, I mean, again, rankings are a starting point for families. It's a discovery tool. Mm-hmm. So think about, so like on, on it's different, different places. I mean, on niche, at least you can really drill down and see or the rankings within this metro area or the rank with. So, yes, you might not be number one in your state. That's okay. People can still discover you by scrolling through that list. Does everyone want to go to number one? No. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Yes, you love that talking point of saying, we're number one, we're number one. You get the little foam finger and all that. But in reality, most people are going to those further down the list. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, and, and there's a lot of people who, I mean, I grew up in a, in a rural area in, in Indiana and there was pushback against, well, if they're number one, that's not the type of school I'd want to go to because I don't know that I'd fit in with the people there. Um, you know, there, there's that sort of sense as well. So think about, yes, we want to improve our rankings. We want to be able to have these things to tout. Look at how the rankings are calculated. You know, if it's something along the lines of, well, you know, we're, we're getting dinged on full-time faculty. You know, that's something that while you can't address, institutionally you might be able to. Uh, if it comes down to things like, well, our graduation rate is low. Okay, what support services can we provide for students to start incrementally bumping that up? Um, I mean, it really depends on, on what that ranking is. But yeah, they are a proof point. So if you don't like your rankings, lean more into the reviews. Lean more into the student voices. Either way, you're having people advocate for you. You know, either way, sure. you have others t- saying, hey, this is a great place. Um, and, and you'll see that in the reviews um, of, of your school. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Going back to the whole using mm-hmm. the reviews and the, and the student voices that are current. That, that's a great, great idea. Um, we have one more, unless anyone else pops into the chat. Um, when it comes to branding, how do you think small institution small institutions can make the best of their marketing? Our budget will never compare to so many of our cross apps, like big state yeah. schools. And and that's okay. I mean, think about where yeah. do you get the biggest bang for your buck? Uh, so again, this partially comes down to good testing, good data collection. You know, if you're seeing that you're getting a great return on investment from a digital marketing campaign. Let's say that you you do this really highly targeted uh, awareness campaign to this metro area. You know, mm-hmm. how can we both prop that up a little bit more, but how can we recreate that success somewhere else? You know, is there another metro similar to that that we can try this at? Um, you know, I that was this was something that uh, I did some testing even county by county, uh, trying to really highlight and target, you know, what are we looking at in terms of uh, what messaging really resonates with people in these areas, and then can we reproduce this? Um, I worked at a small institution, small budget. You know, print, like I said, print is the best way to earn their consideration outside of having someone talk to them. So invest in high quality print. You know, I don't, I don't mean that in the sense of you know glossy, you know, velvet covered view books for everybody, but make sure that it's speaking to what that student says they're interested in. Make sure it's hitting at the right time. And make sure that it's teaching them something. It's exciting them. You know, send out a, a short letter that from a faculty member or an alumni. Uh, you know, that's something that might reach parents. Small budget, of course. But instead, think about, I'm going to have just a 
postcard or something, really highlighting some student stories with a QR code that goes back to a landing page, landing page that's free on your site. Uh, you know, how do we get people back there to learn more about our institution? Mm -hmm. And landing pages are great because you can update them over time. So as students come back, you can keep updating it with assets, new videos, new right. student stories, new stats. Um, and that's something that a, a page on your website costs you nothing. You know, you're going to pay some for print. You're going to pay some for a text, for an email. Bring them back. Do these, do these sort of fingers out that can bring them back to an engaging portal. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we did get a few more in the meantime. So with the way uh, prospective students' behavior and information availability has shifted, students can now use Google and social media to find all the info they need without ever submitting an inquiry form to identify themselves. Should we be placing less emphasis on prospect to inquiry conversions? And if so, what does the future of junior senior search campaigns look Michael, like? Michael, I love that question. So question. yes, uh, I mean, students are, they can go a lot of places, but what we keep seeing is they, they want to actually talk to someone. So making that easy, making it clear that if they fill out this inquiry form, you know, is there a checkbox for, I would like a text, I would like a phone call, I would like an email back making it clear that you will actually respond to them. And it's not just going to be these automated responses. You know, that's, that's a great way to right off the bat, humanize the process because that's what they want. Right. Maybe it's, Hey, if it's on an inquiry page, uh, on a, um, academic program page, maybe have a checkbox for, I would love to talk to a current student in the program or to a faculty member, you know, how do we get them engaged in that process as well? So yeah, you, you don't need to, try to think about, well, they're never going to apply. They, they will if you make it easy for them. Uh, I've, I've, seen, um, I've seen some great web pages where every single page on the site has an inquiry form. So no matter where they land, this is something that so often we think of the home page as that entry point, and that's not the case. I mean, if you have access to Google An Analytics, look at your entry pages. Yeah, a lot of people are going to go mm -hmm. to the home page. You're going to see academic pages. You're going to be seeing news releases. If someone comes to a press release, is it they read the article and they leave? Or is there additional contact content? Can they inquire? Can they recommend a student from there? You know, how do they engage there? I think with the prospect inquiry conversions, that's a really interesting one. I think it depends on how you're prospecting. If you're still doing massive prospect buy of everyone in the state, or massive prospect buy based on this model of students who've already, you know, okay, yeah, that that's you might get some out of that. Um, one of the things that, that we started doing, uh, when I was in my, in my prior role was really small targeted buys and give them a very clear com flow. And that worked a little bit better. Uh, niche offers these, uh, competitor lookalikes where students, um, who are looking at your peer schools, um, you know, you can get in front of them and say, you know, you've, you've heard of this school. That's a lot like us. Have you considered us? Here's what makes us a little bit different. Um, that's something that I had a lot of success with. We're seeing with that partnership with National Student Clearinghouse, we're seeing high conversion rates there as well. Uh, you know, that's something that finding the students who, especially if you're a small institution, getting back to that small budget, you know, mm -hmm. there's going to be students locally who know you, but boy, there's going to be schools that are a right. lot like you that students are looking at and you're going to be a great fit for, they just don't know your name yet. Uh, mm -hmm. so getting in front of them in that way with junior and senior campaigns, it has to be about, especially, let's talk sophomore and junior even. Sophomore and junior, mm -hmm. let's talk about, I want to get in front of these students. I want them to be interested and excited. You know, what fun things are you sharing? What outcomes are you sharing? But don't just constantly bombard them or you're going to burn them out. You know, how do you right. give them the information that's going to engage them, make them want to ask more, make them want to come to campus, continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that is a great question. I love that. That's a good question. Awesome. Um, okay. Do you have a sense of how social media usage differs for grad programs versus undergrad or other thoughts on building awareness for mm -hmm. grad programs? Uh, I do, Sarah. Uh, yeah. Next week, we're actually releasing our, our annual grad searcher survey. I think it was about 7,000 uh -huh. responses this year. Uh, and then we have it segmented wow. by type of program. Uh, so depending and level as well. So like if you're, how do they use social media differently if they are an MBA searcher versus a doctoral program in chemistry searcher. Uh, so that'll all be coming out next week. I don't want to uh, spoil that surprise, uh, but in a, a few weeks we'll have a webinar for that as well. Uh, but yes, there, there are differences. 
Uh, think of it more in terms of where they are. They, they are less, they aren't using social media as much for research, uh, but the networks they're using are different. Vince asks, how do you convince leadership that less is more? Example, one impactful email per week is better than one email per day. Vince, uh, good question. Yes. I actually love Michael's response as well. Yeah, I mean, right. think about if you were in their shoes. Yep. How do, you know, would you like a daily email from anybody? You know, do you, yeah. I love my parents. Do I want them to email me daily? No, yeah. you know, how much new content is there, right? How much new content is there that they are going to be receiving wow. weekly, you know? Uh, so right. think about, okay, what, what do we want them to know? What timeline matters to them? You know, again, it's not about what you want to say. It's what, what they need and what to hear. Uh, so mm -hmm. think about, okay, if we're going to be sharing, uh, oh, we want to make sure that throughout these next six weeks that they hear about our upcoming big group visit day, the scholarship deadline, and the application. You know, maybe you send one email now, kind of teasing all those. A couple of weeks, hey, just a reminder about the scholarship deadline. A couple of weeks after that, don't forget this uh, upcoming event. You know, look at, and hopefully your leadership will, will take a look at what are the overall click to open rates or the overall conversion rates. Uh, if you're using, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know this already, Vince, but maybe not everybody, uh, UTM codes. Uh, urchin tracking modules. Mm -hmm. I love that little bit of trivia, but uh, use UTM codes with all of your email links. So that way you can track back and see, okay, we got this many visits from that email. We got this many uh, applications and be able to show with every email, how many conversions did you get? You know, if you're sending weekly emails, what's the diminishing return there, right? Did everyone mm -hmm. come off of that first email and then almost nobody from the next? Um, mm -hmm. that's a great way to kind of show that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is working for you. I, I don't want to rule out that it doesn't work for everybody, but test it, be able to show the data and say, yep, sending one email a week for a month is the best we can do. Or is it, if we send two emails over the course of a month, we get the same results and we're not annoying them. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems to be it for today. Um, for questions, that is. Uh, Will, thank you so much again for all of your insights. Um, I'm sure folks look forward to some of the more stats coming out in the near future and to future webinars. Um, and uh, again, thank you all and uh, have a great rest of your, say, Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good Thanks, one. Thanks, Sarah. I uh, hope bye -bye. to see uh, quite a few people in Nashville next month, too.